Right now in traditional and modern worship, our pastors are focusing on unexpected acts. The Gospel of Luke concludes where acts begins, and the unexpected acts of changed lives and growing churches mentioned therein are inspirited by the unexpected acts of the resurrected Christ. Our pastor's sermons note the prequels and sequels, the befores and afters of the lives and events captured throughout this book. Good morning, I'm Suzanne Baggett. I will be reading today's scripture for you from the book of Acts chapter 9, verses 36 through 43. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. Her life overflowed with good works and compassionate acts on behalf of those in need. About that time, though, she became so ill that she died. After they washed her body, they laid her in an upstairs room. Since Lydia was near Joppa, when the disciples heard that Peter was there, they sent two people to Peter. They urged, please come right away. Peter went with them. Upon his arrival, he was taken to the upstairs room. All the widows stood beside him, crying as they showed the tunics and other clothing Dorcas made when when she was alive. Peter sent everyone out of the room, then knelt and prayed. He turned to the body and said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, saw Peter, and sat up. He gave her his hand and raised her up. Then he called God's holy people, including the widows, and presented her alive to them. The news spread throughout Joppa. And many put their faith in the Lord. Peter stayed for some time in Joppa with a certain name, with a certain tanner named Simon. May God add a blessing to the reading, hearing, and understanding of Scripture. Amen. Okay, before we get started, two things. I've been battling the cold and allergies for about three weeks. Anybody else here? Can I get an amen on that? So I've got the tea and the water, not to worry. Uh, But if I sound like a little bit like a frog, I know y'all will give me the grace, the same grace that God gives me each and every day. I also want to take a quick second to ask you, uh, this is like what's, what's old is new again, uh, we've brought back the pew pads. I heard last week the pew pad itself got an applause. There it is, again. Um, you can still use the QR code if you would like to, but if you would like to sign in, um, that, is, that is absolutely fine. And I was actually talking to Bill Connor, and he pointed out something really wonderful, which is that if you're like him, and you don't bring your phone into worship, you still need something to sign in. So thank you for reminding me of that. There's also a visitor card. So if you're new, we would love to have you sign in. And if you'll go out to the Welcome Center and take that there after worship, we've also got a fantastic gift for you. And there's also a card for prayer concerns. Uh, Whatever's on your heart today, we'd love to enter into covenant prayer with you about that. Today is the fourth Sunday of the season of Easter. Uh, We don't really typically think about Easter having a season. You know, it's not like Lent or Advent, but there is the season of Easter in our church calendar year, and it goes all the way up to Pentecost. So exploring the book of Acts feels right in the wake of the resurrection because the disciples start to encounter a lot of unexpected and surprising ways that God is interacting with humanity 
after the resurrection. This past week, as I studied the passage that Suzanne just so beautifully read, I found myself asking, who is actually the main character here of this story that takes place in a little town called Joppa? Is it Peter? I mean, after all, he is the disciple, and he's the one who does the fancy healing to restore life to Tabitha. But by only focusing on Peter, I think we overlook the one that was healed, Tabitha, who really helped to bring new life to the people in her community, in a sense. People who might have felt like their own lives were over. Now, if not for Peter, Tabitha, whose Greek name is Dorcas, which is a little unfortunate, I would agree, might never have made it into the New Testament. It's a short, just a seven-passage piece of scripture. She never even says one word. But if you Google the word Dorcas, the name Dorcas, you'll get over 11 million hits right off the bat. And you know how they have those images on the side of Google. You'll also see some pictures of her that make it look like she could be on the, the Joppa edition of Glamour. Now, some of the Google hits don't have anything to do with her. Her name means gazelle, and it's actually a subspecies of gazelle, so a lot of that comes up. Apparently, there was also a character in Harry Potter named Dorcas who bit the dust, so those might come up. But the first page brings up a lot of charitable organizations that bear her namesake. What does this tell us about one individual's ability to make a difference for Christ? There is a man and his name is Dan Hurley. Jim, not to be confused with the University of Connecticut basketball coach, but a different Dan Hurley. This Dan resides mostly in New York City, and he wears a bright yellow fedora, a yellow silk butterfly bow tie, a yellow blazer. He wears these yellow, these two-tone saddle leather shoes, and he's made his fame as a sidewalk performer. He doesn't mime, he doesn't juggle, sing, dance, do acrobatics, or play an instrument. He carries a folding chair with him, a 1941 Remington typewriter. There it goes, the frog. And a little sign that reads, your life story in about a minute. He's known now as the 62nd novelist. Street poets are pretty common in larger cities, not necessarily in ours, but 40 years ago when Dan started doing this in Chicago, It was a pretty crazy idea for him to just start writing down instant stories of passers-by on Michigan Avenue. He's actually an award-winning science author, but his passion for talking to people has remained constant through the years. He's interviewed over 23,000 people. Lots of just ordinary folks like you and me on the street, but also some famous people, Jeff Bezos, Michael Bloomberg, Dwayne Wade, Brad Pitt. His framework always remains the same. He asks the questions, then types out their unique, one-of-a-kind stories in black ink 
on a white sheet of paper with a carbon copy beneath for him to keep. We might think it's impossible that this man, Mr. Hurley, can sum up an entire life, the depth and breadth and width and character of a person in just a few words. After all, 60 seconds isn't really a whole lot of time, but good stories don't have to take long to tell. Take Tabitha, for instance. The writer of her story, Luke, he didn't have a typewriter or a word processor, nor was he wearing yellow clothes or fancy shoes. It doesn't really matter what the author, the writer, looks like. What matters is the story and the telling. Tabitha lived with sincerity, but we'd never know about it except for these 94 words written about her. A short story it is. But what a story. What Tabitha did, how she lived, died, then lived again. Her second story, second 60-second story, that's a tongue twister, comes immediately after the healing of Ananias. And it shares a few similarities, but actually contains some really surprising details. The first is that This woman is listed not only with one name, as we've mentioned, but with two. Now think about the number of females in the Bible throughout the Old and New Testament who are central parts of stories but go unnamed. The woman at the well, the widow with two mites, there's many others. So this fact that they list both her Greek and Aramaic names is interesting. It also likely means that she's a person who lived in dual worlds. She was comfortable both in her Judaic world, but also in the Greco-Roman world. Again, the story doesn't tell us how, but the fact that both those names are mentioned indicates that. The other really standout fact is that she is the only female in the New Testament named as a disciple. There was a disciple named Tabitha. There are countless others, but none actually given the title. Verse 36 gave us a glimpse into her character as a disciple. Her life overflowed with good works and compassionate acts on behalf of those in need. She didn't just do good works. Her life overflowed with good works. When she becomes ill and dies, those she's helped are absolutely beside themselves, grief-stricken. Peter is sent for. Another odd thing, we're not told exactly why. The scripture doesn't say they sent for Peter to heal her. So we don't really know if healing was the intention or if the word of his healings, his other healings had spread through the countryside to this town. But we know the miracle happens. He tells her to get up and live again and help again. The group of people she's been helping, those that Luke refers to as in need, the grief-stricken, they're widows, often mentioned in the Bible. We feel their pain as they cry to Peter. They literally show him the clothing and tunics that she's made for them, which lets us know she's a seamstress. 
It's almost as if they're trying to say, see this life right here, these things she does for her, for us. She's worthy. She's worth bringing back. Now, many widows whose husbands had money, had property before they passed away, they would have been reasonably well off, not relegated to the edge of society. But if you were married to someone who was already poor, had no property, and that person passed away, you were in dire straits to even have your most basic human needs met, food, clothing, shelter, and safety and you were marginalized and outcast in society. There's an often studied passage from 1 Peter that talks about something we've heard about, the priesthood of all believers. It says, come to him, to that living stone, that being Christ. Humans rejected him, but God chose him and values him very highly. Like living stones yourselves, you are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices that will be pleasing to God through Jesus Christ, the Savior. Tabitha lives this verse. She is a living stone who turns her simple sewing skills into a way of helping these women. She's moved to compassion and uses what God gifted her with to stitch together not just pieces of fabric, but a whole community of believers as well. Now, in case we're tempted to think, oh, well, there's no way we could possibly measure up to someone like Tabitha, stop. Tabitha isn't saving millions of people. She's not creating a charitable organization to minister to the masses. She's using one unique gift because she can't turn away from the brokenness in her community. Richard John Newhouse wrote, being the kind of people we should and can be is the best and sometimes the only way to improve the world around us. All we have to do is stop, look around at someone or some group who is hurting and choose not to do the easy thing and look away. Now, this is not a sermon on Mother's Day meant to heap guilt on you for some magical standard of what you think you should be living up to. But it is to say that we often doubt our own ability or worthiness to give Jesus our best. We talk a lot at Asbury about how each person has value to God and has something to bring to the table. This isn't a feel-good bumper sticker As believers, we want to embody that verse from Peter. We don't bring an animal on the altar to the sacrifice like in the Old Testament. But like Tabitha, our sacrifice is turning toward God, not just turning inward towards ourselves. When I think of all the people I know, and probably you as well, who've made the biggest impact in your life, in this home of believers, in your own lives, beyond these walls, the people who are the Tabithas of your world, 
the things they do aren't usually even grand or flashy or grandiose. They are ordinary people on the lookout to show others the love of God. I often listen to podcasts, probably like many of you, and there's one that I listen to frequently. It's called My Unsung Hero. I like it because it's short. It's usually no more than like four or five minutes. And for me, it's like, it's like getting a, a shot in the arm of the goodness of God. What happens is people literally send the producers a voice-recorded moment from their life about a person who has impacted them and their desire to say thank you. Oftentimes, they don't know the name of the person or they were too caught up to say thank you in the moment. So it's just sort of their way to acknowledge them. One such story was from a woman named Terry Powers. She says it was just days before Christmas and her mother, who she was very close to, has just died. She's struggling to keep it together, to make it through the holiday. She's trying to numb her feelings so she can get all the things done and just get past Christmas. For whatever reason, she's in the grocery store right before Christmas and she's getting the groceries and she's feeling all those feelings coming to the surface. The clerk who's checking her out says, how are you? Did you find everything you need? And Terry says, in that moment, she just couldn't put on the good face anymore. Tears fill her eyes and she tells the clerk that my mother just passed away and I, I really don't know how I'm going to make it through Christmas. The clerk, now very uncomfortable, offers some simple condolences and keeps scanning the items, eyes down. As Terry prepares to go, the young boy who's been bagging the groceries and observing stops her and asks her a simple question. He asks her if he can give her a hug. Terry says yes, and he gives her a genuine and warm embrace. She says in that moment, that hug meant everything. The fact that he took time to connect with her in that way, that probably wasn't comfortable for him, that he really saw her and her pain has remained ingrained in her memory for years. Now hear me, this is not a faith-based podcast. God is not mentioned in most of the stories I've heard here, but I see him there. If we believe that God is the source of all the good in this world, that his presence is active, living, and moving through the Holy Spirit, then he is in these small moments of kindness too, these moments of healing. We resist jumping into these moments though, and I don't blame us. Generally, I'm saying I'm a hot mess right now and I really don't have anything to offer God today. I can tell you that my tank is empty. It's been a really rough week. What could I possibly give to God? Or I, I say, I, I'm overwhelmed by the need in the world, the great need that is everywhere in our community, in our country, around the world. And I say, well, I'm just one person. I can't make a difference there. 
Or we might give thought to the voice that each of us is replaceable. If we don't give, if we don't serve, if we don't offer that helping hand, someone else will come along and do it. It isn't true. If Mr. Hurley were to write a 60-second novel for each of us, every story would be different. We are each uniquely gifted persons, creations of God, with certain skill sets, with certain aptitudes, abilities, created to serve and glorify him. There's no prerequisite to be perfect or be able to recite back passages and chapters of scripture to live this way. We don't have to have it all together to give honor to God. He created us, loves us, and values our offering on our best days as well as our worst days. Now the early church could have survived. They could have moved on without Tabitha, But don't say that her death didn't make a difference. One person and one person's gifts can change the world, can change a community, can change a church. If you could have our friend in yellow, Mr. Hurley, write about you in 94 seconds, actually 94 words, (laughs) or... 60 seconds, what would he say? Would he speak of a life that, had you not lived it, others would have suffered? Would he speak of a life of love and devotion? Would he show you as unique? Absolutely, he would. Listen to the story of Honest Abe by Dan Hurley. And judge for yourself if you too are unique and uniquely qualified to use your God-given gifts for his glory. Abe is honest. He's a man of his word. As a CPA, he had to be honest. People depended on him. He was honest, too, when he promised to Marjorie 58 years ago that he would always love her, he would always stand by her. They've been married that long, and they now have two children and three grandchildren. But he was never more honest than the day six years ago when his oldest daughter's husband, Fred, was in the hospital and Abe went to see him. You need a haircut, said Fred, joking. But Abe replied in utter seriousness, I won't get a haircut until you walk out of here. Fred never did walk out. He was carried out. He died. And so Abe felt that he owed it to Fred to keep his word. That's why he has never cut his hair why he has a long, white, flowing ponytail, this conservative CPA. It is his white badge of honesty, devotion, and love. May our lives be marked by the very same qualities and our stories be told in the very same way of love, of devotion, 
of the things that glorify our Creator who created us to do them. Let us pray. God, thank you. Thank you for the uniqueness of each mother here, of each woman who ministers and loves the people around her. Thank you for the gifts that you give each of us that we're to use for your glory. Gifts that range so widely from the smallest act of kindness to the greatest gift of love. God, we love you. We praise you in all the things of this world, of heaven and earth. Amen.